Thessalonians chapter 3, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And it is good to be back into a normal study. Uh, we've been in this book for quite some time, and of course working our way through all of the Pauline epistles uh, in the New Testament, and that's years and years and years worth of studies, of course, but it's, it's good to be back once you've had a break from it for a little bit. And so we, we find ourselves in chapter 3, and our text tonight is going to be verses 1 and 2. So you follow along as I read. The Bible says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. We're going to talk tonight specifically about what Paul asked of the church in Thessalonica. He said, finally, brethren, pray for us. And we'll, we'll unpack these verses here as we go. But we're going to talk about prayer's potential here tonight uh, using these two verses. And let's just ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word and we'll make some applications. This is very relevant, very, very relevant uh, passage of Scripture. And I just got to tell you, it was, just, it, was a, it was an encouraging study for me today. Uh, that just really blessed my soul and encouraged me and challenged me, and I'm going to try to convey that uh, here to you tonight, all right? So open your heart to the Word of God and take it in, and ask the Lord to teach you as well, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you use your Word in our life, and for Father, I pray that we would have the heart attitude to receive it as it is in truth, uh, the Word of God, not the words of men, and I pray, Lord, that you would use it to shape our lives and... Father, we would be obedient to uh, the commands of the Lord, and we pray that uh, you'd help us to have that surrendered heart. And we thank you for your word, the encourage, encouragement that it is, and sometimes the rebuke as well. But Father, it is all the things that we need uh, that pertain to life and to godliness. So Lord, we thank you for it, and we ask that you'd use it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice the very first word that Paul says here, and of course, there weren't chapter divisions uh, when Paul penned this letter to the church in Thessalonica, but he uses the word finally. He says, finally. That word, it really means there's something that's remaining. And in other words, he's, he's rounding the corner. He's getting toward the end uh, of, of what he needs to say, but there's still something very important to say. In other words, that's what that is, is referring to. And so there's still something to say here, but I'm getting towards the end and I'm closing this out, but, but there's still really something that I want you to understand. And so that's what that word means. And, and Paul is going to go on and he's going to touch on several different things in chapter 3, which we will get to. But the thing that he starts with, and the thing that, that is still important to say, is this. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. And again, there's several things he's going to talk about in chapter 3. But the thing that's left to say is, brethren, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for us. And we're going to talk about prayer tonight because prayer is one of the most important things in the Christian life, but it is so often one of the things that gets overlooked the most. Prayer is one of the most important things in the work of the Lord and in ministry, but it is so often one of the things that gets overlooked the most. Especially 
in ministry, especially in mission work. And that's really the context of, of what Paul is, is getting at. He's, he's talking about ministry and work here as he writes to the church in Thessalonica. And so we're, we're going to focus on that tonight, but let me say this as well. More important than money in missions is prayer in missions. It's important. And you say, why is it more important than money? Well, the reason is because God has ordained prayer as a necessary requisite to His power, which is essential to the actual work. It's the power of God that is essential to the work, not the money that's essential to the work. The Lord can provide that. Prayer is essential uh, because it's a requisite to God's power. And so it's more important than money in missions. Paul doesn't say, send us more money. Paul says to the church, he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord would increase or would, would have free course. And we'll get into all of that in just a minute. But I want to just make this statement and I want to get this across to us tonight as we begin. Prayer is a must in the work of the Lord. Prayer is a must in your life as well. So let's unpack these verses here. There's really only three points that I want to make here tonight. And you'll see that as we go through. And the first, the first thing that we see in the first part of verse 1 is that there is a need for dependence on each other. Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the brethren, the church, uh, those that made up the church in Thessalonica. And he says, brethren... I need you, we need you to pray for us. And, and so the point is, we see a dependence on each other that is here. Now, let's just break this down a little bit. Who is, who is Paul? Paul is an apostle, correct? He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He holds a very, very high office. Highest, the highest office, if you will, that the Lord's church has ever known. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28 says that he set some in the church first apostles. And so Paul is the one who is saying here, he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He might have even been chief of the apostles. If you judge by, based on what the Lord used him to do in ministry, if you judge based upon uh, how much of the New Testament was written by him, uh, how much of the New Testament uh, the, the Lord used the Apostle Paul to pen. He could be possibly the chiefest of apostles. The point is, is that he held a high office. The Lord used him to do wondrous and amazing things. And yet, this man says, I need you to pray for us. You following this? He needed them, the church. All of those who made up the church, including the young men, including the ladies, including children. Paul said, I need you, brethren, to pray for us. Now, I want to make an application here because this reinforces for us two different things. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in order for us to look through this. We're talking about a dependence on each other. It's the Apostle Paul who says, I need you to pray for us. 
And it reinforces uh, for us two different things. The first thing that it reinforces for us is that there is nobody who is better than another in a church. There is nobody who is better than another in a church. Now look at 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. In other words, under the administration and the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, we are baptized into this body or this church in this particular place as it has pleased the Lord. It is under the direction and the administration of the Spirit of God that every single one of us are where we're at. So then he says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet uh, but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable... Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member uh, be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And so Paul says here in this context, he says under the administration of the Spirit of God, each of you are here. Verse 18 says, it is the God who sets the members in the body as it hath pleased him. He says in verse 21, he says, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In other words, there is not any one part of the body that is better than another part. All are necessary. Paul was an apostle, but he needed them. I am a pastor, but I need you. You are church members, and you need each other, and you need me. There's not one that is irreplaceable, and there's not one that is better than another. And we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Now, I'm going to get to something in just a minute. But I'm stressing the point that there is a dependence on each other in the body of Christ. And we need that, amen? The second thing that it reinforces for us is that everyone has a part to play. So there's not one that's better than another, and every one has a part to play. In verse 22, Paul said, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. 
There's eyes and there's ears and there's elbows and there's feet and there's hands and there's toes and there's knees and there's all kinds of other things. Paul says here, everyone is necessary. And what did Paul say to the church in Thessalonica? I need you to pray for us. I need you all to pray. We all have a part to play. This is the... the this is the uh, mutual dependence which is being recognized here in Paul's request of the church. A mutual dependence. Pray for us. Now, let me give some instruction here. Because there are four things which are likely to make us forget our dependence upon each other. Four things, quickly. Sometimes it could be gifts and talents that we have that make us forget how much we need other people. Because we possess certain gifts, or we possess certain talents, we could often think of ourselves more important or more highly than we ought to. Because other people don't have the same position. That's another thing. Position is another thing that can sometimes cause us to forget how much we need each other. That means social standing. Like, there are differences in personality. Sometimes people gravitate towards others, and they're more, you know, the center of attention, whatever. People can be liked. There can be others who are more quiet. They just seem to be more reserved or shy. Their social standing may not seem to be as prominent as somebody else's. That sometimes can make us forget how much we need each other. What about office? There are two offices in the Lord's church. It's the pastor and the deacon. Those are biblical offices that require qualifications. But part of the qualification of a pastor is, is that he not be a novice, lest lifted up, being lifted up in pride, he fall into the snare of the devil. Pride can be the thing that, that lifts me up, that makes me sometimes feel like, you know what, I'm more important than somebody else. But we already said there's nobody that's more important than another. Successful service. The visible, successful, quote, successful service that somebody has sometimes can cause us to forget that every person is important, every member is necessary, and we need each other. These are very likely to make us forget our dependence upon others unless we guard against that, and they can make us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But on the other hand, there's also some things in other people which will also tend to make us overlook how valuable other people actually are and how much we need them. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes there are people who don't have as much as another person. Somebody's low temporal estate may cause us to think less highly or less a valuable of, of an individual. Especially in our culture, in our days, when, when wealth has become a god to so many people. Money is a lot more of a god to people than we realize, than we want to think. You know what? You can have nothing in your life. You can have, you know, whatever, a, a, a meager existence as an American, and, 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 and money is still your god. That can be true. I don't have very much, and I wear it as a badge right here. That's just as much, it can be just as much of a God as somebody who has all kinds of things. 
somebody's low temporal estate may cause us to look down or think that they're not as valuable. Or how about not having very many talents or gifts? I mean, I have a gift of teaching, and I have a gift of singing, and I have a gift of cleaning the toilets. I got all kinds of gifts. Somebody doesn't seem like they have much to offer, and we can lose sight of actually how valuable they are in the body. How about that disposition that seems to be quiet, shy, reserved, introverted, they're not really out there. How much do they really have to offer? Not holding any kind of office in the church, etc., etc. We can look at those kinds of things and feel like or operate like those people don't seem to have very much to offer and therefore they're not as valuable or as important in the church. What a shame. That is a terrible, carnal mindset to hold. Because the Word of God says in James 2, in verse 1, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. That word have not, it means to practice. In other words, James says, My brethren, don't, you can't practice the faith of Jesus Christ with respect of persons. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. In other words, in God's eyes, and even on a church level, every member is necessary. Every part is important. There's nobody that's more important than another. And Paul expresses this mutual dependence here. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, brethren, I need you to pray. You have a part to play. I need you to pray for us. But now let's go back over there because here we get into really what Paul is getting at. So he says, brethren, here's something important to say. I need you to pray for us. And the next thing that we find here is in the second part of verse 1, we find that prayer is needed for the work as much as preaching. Prayer is needed for the work as much as preaching. He says, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, question, why did Paul say, pray for us that the word of the Lord would have free course? I mean, did Paul not say that it's the preaching of the cross? That is the principal thing, that God has chosen preaching of the gospel to save them that would believe. It was Paul who also said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul said all of those things. Why then did he say, brethren, you need to pray that the word of God has free course? And the point I'm making here is that prayer is needed for the work just as much as preaching. Let me give you something here. One preacher said this, prayer is very different from preaching, and yet a moment's reflection will show how they work together. Prayer speaks to God for man. 
Preaching speaks to man for God. Prayer seeks to bring God to man. Preaching aims to point man toward God. Prayer moves God towards man. Preaching persuades man to seek after God. Prayer makes known unto God man's request. Preaching reveals to man God's mind and his will. Preaching casts in the seed. Prayer brings the rain and the sunshine. Preaching utters the good tidings. Prayer carries the sound to the ear and makes the heart sensitive. Preaching is doing the practical work which man can do. Prayer asks for what God only can do. And for that which is necessary to the success of that which man can do. The two work together. It's important, it's necessary, just as much as preaching. One preacher also said this, although prayer occupies a lofty position, we are all more or less in danger of being diverted from it. Those who reason much upon religious matters are diverted by a secret skepticism. Those who are carnal and walk as men are diverted by their fondness for a quick and visible return for all their efforts. Those who think of themselves more highly than they ought to think are diverted by self-sufficiency. Those who estimate of human nature is too valuable or are diverted by their too strong expectation of what may be done by simply presenting the truth. For there are men so excessively simple that even now, after 20 centuries of trial, they will tell you that if you only put God's truth in front of men, they will take it in. Now, I think I understand what that guy's saying. That there's a lot of emphasis on the doing, and there's a lot of emphasis on the presenting of truth, but what he's saying is what's missing, the missing element behind that, is not all men receive the truth. Not all men receive the word of God, and the missing element is that the power of God has got to go with it. That comes with prayer. Lord, use your word. Paul understood the essential nature of prayer for the work of the ministry. And everybody had a part to play in that. And so Paul said, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord would have free course. And so Paul is asking the church, play your part in this. We're preaching, but pray for us that the word of the Lord would go forward. So thirdly, let's just consider what it was that Paul was saying they should pray for. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. What was it that Paul said you should pray for? First of all, he said, you need to pray that the gospel gets out. Pray that the word of the Lord may have free course. Pray that the gospel gets out. That phrase, free course, it was, it was a word that was spoken of those who would run in a race. And it carries the meaning of being unhindered or being weighed down or unimpeded. And the language that 
that Paul is using here was derived from the public races or the Grecian games. And it makes sense that Paul would use that analogy or, or that language because Paul probably wrote this letter to the church from Corinth. Now, if you look at the bottom of your, I don't know, some people's Bible may not say this, but mine says the second epistle to the Thessalonians is written from Athens. But there's really a good reason to believe that Paul actually wrote this from Corinth. But whether that was Athens or whether it was Corinth, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1 that Paul went from Athens to Corinth. So that's when this epistle was written, right in that time frame. And what I'm saying is, whether it was in Athens, whether it was in Corinth, Paul on his way from Athens to Corinth would have passed uh, along the Isthmus where the Grecian games would have been celebrated. And I did some reading about this, and apparently on that roadway that was between Athens and Corinth, Paul would have seen stadiums, he would have seen theaters. He, on the sides of the road, they would put these statues of, of games winners. And Paul would have easily seen all of these things as he's walking this road where the Grecian games would have been celebrated. He would have seen the very trees where the corruptible crowns that Paul talks about, those who run and who endure, they do it for a corruptible crown, but we in an incorruptible, he would have seen all of those things. And what he's saying here is he's speaking of the word of the Lord like a racer who's running without impediment or, or like a, like a chariot that didn't have drag on his wheels. He's saying, brethren, pray that the word of the Lord goes forward, not weighed down, unimpeded, unhindered, that it goes uh, speedily along. That's what he's actually saying. So let me ask you this question. Is that how you pray in our ministries? How about the native ministry? Do you pray for this with our native ministry, that there are no delays in the word of the Lord, that there's no return to sender on the envelope, that the word of the Lord is unimpeded as it goes forward? What I'm getting at here is we can do all the work and we can do all the labor and we can fold things and we can stuff things and we can stamp things and we can send them out. But what is the missing element sometimes? Prayer. You understand what I'm saying? We can do the work and we need to do the work. But prayer is part of the work, and everybody has a job to play. Everybody has a job to do. The job's not done simply because we fold something and put it in a packet. We need to pray that the word of the Lord goes unimpeded, that it has free course, and the gospel gets out. Do you pray this way for Brother George in preaching the gospel? For those who carry it? That they would have boldness, that they would have opportunity, that the door would be open and they'd be able to boldly preach, and the gospel would have free course. How much time do we give, brethren, to actually praying for the work, for the ministry, for the gospel to get out? 
Look at Colossians chapter 4. Like I told you before, this, it, was a, it was an encouraging and challenging study for me today just to, to see some of these principles here and to remember again and to be convicted again that the thing that gets overlooked so often is the thing that harnesses the power of God. We don't give very much effort to that part. And it's so vital to the work. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul tells the church in Colossae, would you pray for us and pray that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the gospel, but then he says, so that I would make it known as I ought to. He says, I need you to pray for me. He said in Ephesians 6, in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, I want to preach, but I need you to pray for me that the gospel would get out, that the word of the Lord would have free course, unhindered unimpeded. Amen? I go back to our text there because Paul adds something to it. In verse 1, pray that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. That word, be glorified, it, it, it means to render or esteem glorious. And again, it's the wording is, is the, the runner of a race. He's running unimpeded. He's running unhindered. And when he wins the race, he is rewarded. He's given the reward. He's given the crown for winning the race. And Paul is saying that the word of the Lord needs to be glorified. It needs to be honored. And the, Lord, the word is honored when people actually receive the truth and are saved. And so he's saying, pray that the word of the Lord has free course, but that it yields the fruit and people are saved. Notice what Paul adds at the end of this verse. He says, even as it is with you. So pray that the word of the Lord has free course and be glorified that it's honored that people receive the truth, even as it is with you. Now, I, I was thinking about that. And I'm like, what is Paul saying here? What Paul is saying is that pray that the word of God has the same effect here where I'm preaching the gospel now as it did with you when I preached the gospel to you to begin with. Yeah, amen. Because now go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul is, I want you to notice here, Paul is glad in this verse. He says, we're thanking God without ceasing. And the reason is, is because you received the word of God, which you heard of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. And that same word of God worked effectually in you. So Paul is glad for their reception of the word of God. He says, you received it. Notice that word received. The first one, it's used two times in this verse. That word received means outward, external listening. It means to learn. So in other words, when Paul came and preached there, he says that you received it. You, this was the outward listening, the learning. And if you were to go back to Acts chapter 17, you would find that Paul, his initial entrance into Thessalonica, that he went into the synagogue and he preached uh, those three Sabbath days, it wasn't very long that he was with them. He preached to them. They heard him. They listened to what he had to say, and they learned. And then he said, you received, notice this, when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us. Which ye heard of us. That's an interesting phrase because it means it came, it came out of us, but it was actually from God. In other words, they listened, they learned what Paul had to say, but it wasn't his own words. It came from God. It was God's message. But now notice this. Ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. Ye received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. There's that word received again. But it's a completely different word. That word means to accept or to embrace. In other words, he says, you accepted, you embraced this message. This is the inward welcome, not just the outward learning of something, but the inward welcome of the heart. They heard the word with the ear, then they accepted it with their heart. When they accepted it with their heart, as the word of God, Paul says, it effectually worked in you that believed. That's awesome. When they had accepted it, the Bible says, and Paul says, it effectually worked in you. That phrase, effectually works, it's the Greek word energeo. And it means to energize. It means to be operative. It means to be at work. It means to put forth power. It means to be efficient. Now follow this thought. The Word of God is not empty. The Word of God is not impotent. It's not like just the words of men. It's something that is effectual in its working. It's something that is supernatural in its working. And let me just uh, follow along with this thought here. Again, the word effectually is the word energeo. It's a verb that shows action. And when this word is used in the New Testament, 
it's almost always used to refer to supernatural action and most often to God's supernatural action. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 6, Paul says there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. That's the same word, energeo. In other words, all of you believers, whatever is going on in your life to the good of God, for the good of, of God's glory, it's God who is working in you. Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh. It's the same word, energeo. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So this verb effectually or energeo primarily refers to God who is at work. And so the word of God, by the power of God, is supernaturally performing its, in, its work in you that believe. Now this is important because Paul said, back in chapter 3, he said, Brethren, pray for us that the word of God has free course, that it's glorified, and that it does the same thing here that it did in you when I preached it to you. He says, you got to pray for the same thing. you got to pray for the same thing where I'm preaching now. You understand that? I don't know. I'm not getting that across to you. A bump on a log tonight. I don't know. Or maybe it's just the guy who's trying to explain it. This is an important principle. Because Paul says, hey, look, the word of God effectually worked in you. And brethren, it worked in you to the point that it's, 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 it's God's power that's at work in you. And now I'm preaching the gospel somewhere else. And brethren, would you please pray that the, the word of God where I'm preaching does the very same thing that it did for you somewhere else? I was thinking about that. You know what came to my mind? Brother Girth did. And the reason he came to my mind is because I hear him pray regularly. Something like this. Lord, we would that you would do in Alaska the same things that we've seen you do over in South Africa. In places where the gospel is preached and souls are being saved and there's churches that are springing up that are being planted. Lord, we pray that you would do the same thing here that we see you doing there. What a great prayer to pray that the word of God would work effectually here just like it is somewhere else. Is that resonating at all? should be convicting because it sure was for me i know that what a great thing to pray paul says brethren pray that the word of the lord is free course that it's glorified that souls are saved and that it works just like it did in you and then he says in verse two of our text here tonight he says And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. These are the things that they should pray for. Delivered from resistance. Delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Not everybody receives the truth. 
Now look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 23, Paul says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes, above measure, in prisons, more frequent, in deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Notice how Paul talks a lot about the persecution that he faced, but much of it here is really due to the fact that he was preaching the gospel. He said, in stripes, in deaths, imprisonment, beaten with rods, stoned, several things here. Paul faced a lot of resistance for preaching the gospel. It really does make sense that he would say, brethren, I need you to pray that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. There are those who despise the truth and who will do anything that they can do to stifle the message of the gospel. Those are Satan's servants. There's resistance when we attempt something for the Lord. It shouldn't be a surprise that when we attempt to do something for God, that there's resistance that comes with that. I was just talking to Pastor Humphrey just the other day, and, and we were, we were rem reminiscing, remembering that, uh, that we tried to get on to the radio station so we could preach the gospel, and it looked like things were going really well. It looked like things were, were going to fall right into place, and all of a sudden there were unreasonable men somewhere who shut the whole thing down. Why? Well, we don't know why. We trust the Lord with it, but more than likely, the gospel was going to be preached. And the devil didn't want that to happen. You think about somebody like our own evangelist. He's been kidnapped. He's gone through all kinds of things that we have never experienced, all because of trying to preach the gospel. I think of men like Brother Kuzel. Remember, he was attacked and his arm almost cut off with a machete. And we could probably talk about many other things where the servants of the Lord face resistance in their labor and in their work simply because they're trying to preach the truth, the gospel. And Satan doesn't want it to go forward. And God's servants need our prayers for God's deliverance, amen, so that they can continue preaching the Word and accomplish the work of the ministry. It's so important that we pray. And I would kind of just bring it all to a close here tonight with this. The Great Commission, friends, is your job. It's our job as a New Testament church. 
Can we all go into the uttermost to preach the gospel? No, we all can't go. But we all can and we all do have a part and responsibility to, pr- to play here. And that, that responsibility, in, in, in one sense, at least in this part, that responsibility is to partner together in prayer that the word of the Lord would have free course. That it would be unhindered, unimpeded, that it would be glorified, that souls would be saved. And those who carry the gospel for us, that they would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. I'm often ashamed when I realize again how little time I really spend praying. A lot of doing, but maybe I need to do more praying. Lord, help me pray more fervently what about you how much time do you spend praying that the word of the Lord would have free course amen that the Lord would protect those who carry the gospel and that souls would be saved how much time do we really spend doing that well Paul says brethren Here's something important. I need you to pray for us. Amen? Let's take it to heart. Let's make the application. And even tonight, as we spend some time praying, let's not just say some words that we're used to saying, but Lord, you do something. Because prayer is asking for what only God can do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you encourage us tonight with these truths, and we do pray, Lord, for the Word of God to have free course, that it would speedily go on its way, that it would not be hindered. And Lord, the the efforts that we put in with Great Commission Day with our native ministry, Lord, that they would not just stop there with some hands-on doing. But Father, it would be in our heart to send it on its way with prayer in our heart and on our lips to the Lord. Lord, use your word. May it find lodging in people's hearts. Lord, may there not be hindrance to it. And Lord, may it bear fruit. May it be glorified and honored with souls that receive the truth. And Lord, may it work effectually in them that would believe. Father, we just pray Uh, tonight that you would challenge us with these truths and take us to another level. I'm thankful for the willingness to labor and the willingness to put hands to the work. But Lord, I also don't want to miss this very important aspect, the prayer that harnesses the power of God because the power of God is what is necessary for the work. So, Lord, I pray that you drive this home to our heart tonight and make us people who are people of prayer. To see the importance of it, like Paul asked the church, it's an important thing I want to ask you. And we can all have a part. So, Lord, I pray that you'd work your will in our lives to this end. In Jesus' name, amen.